Guys, we're in the middle of the pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Karamante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. All right, Quadcast Nation, solving wellness community. We got somebody special today. We got Deborah Sloan. She's got, she's all things. Deborah, you're all things. You're <laughs> a dietitian, sports nutritionist, personal trainer, CrossFit enthusiast, foodie. We're going to get into all of this, but Deborah, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. This is so fun. I'm so excited about this. I've been looking forward to this all summer long. Me too. And like, seriously, I don't know how many people could see this, but, uh, Deborah is jacked. Let me tell you, she is jacked. I would not mess around with her in a corner. Like if I was in a dark alley, I would run the other way. Seriously. But uh, this is why I'm really excited about this. But honestly, thank you for doing this. I thought we would start off by like, what's uh, what's your story? You know what I'm saying? Because like not too many people have all these certificates and, you know, I know you're a type uh, one diabetic, so I, I have a feeling there's going to be a bit of a story to what got you into such great health overall. So what's your story, Deb? Um, well, basically, I mean, I was a I was an art student, if you can believe it. Um, I went through high school, like not a science person, went into the arts at university and then was doing art history and painting and all that stuff and marketing and then. We were sort of at a crossroads. My husband got into medical school and I thought, you know, we're moving to London, Ontario. What am I going to do? And I decided that um, it was sort of around the time that I started getting into fitness and different things. And as I got into fitness, the diabetes piece, I think, became a little bit more present. Like I was always really good at managing that. I was I was 12 when I was diagnosed and it was it was just sort of a normal part of life. But then when I started exercising and getting into that, um, I, you know, I started managing my food a little bit more, getting more interested in fueling and stuff like that. And I found that although I was interested in the art, 
the stuff that I was really reading about and, 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 you know, when you pick up a magazine and that kind of stuff was about sport performance and fitness and exercise. And um, certainly the diabetes piece, I think, influenced how I saw everything because there was that added component. So I ended up taking the route of, of dietitian. Let me tell you, it wasn't easy. Uh, people told me that, but I didn't really realize how competitive it was. I had to go back and do uh, high school chemistry and that was pretty interesting. And then, um, you know, there it sort of started. I, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it certainly, I think my, my type one influenced it. It's interesting that it took me that long to realize how big of a role it would play in my life, but I always felt that it empowered me rather than held me back. And uh, I, when I got into nutrition, I sort of had a feeling of what I would be doing, which to be honest with you is exactly what I'm doing now. So that's, you know, that's a cool story. I think when you sort of picture yourself being like, yeah, I'm going to do this degree. So that was a, you know, another three-year university degree. I was, I was a mass, like I was already older, you know, it was, it was my second degree and uh, got my internship at Sunnybrook in Toronto. And my husband was still finishing up medical school. I got pregnant at the end of that. We moved to Ottawa and I said, I'm going to start my practice. And, and, and that was it. And I mean, along the way, I was doing a lot of different types of activities um, I swam and played soccer a little bit in high school, but, but didn't grow up an athlete actually at all. I was not super athletic as a kid. Mm. Um, so it was something I guess I found later in life. I just, I think I was naturally strong and, and that kind of took shape later on. Uh, I got into boxing a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I, I knew there was a reason I was saying <laughs> not, not messing around in a dark alley. Yeah, exactly. Got down, got down. Sure there's that piece. I, I boxed in Toronto just not competitively or anything, but at a, at a really cool spot. And, um, and then when I went to London and I was doing my dietitian, my dietitian degree, I found CrossFit um, back when it was not even really a big thing. And uh, like I was saying to you before, when we were off air, I, uh, that really changed my life. I'd say like in terms of athletics and how I feel like I view exercise and strength training now compared to just, you know, I used to sort of exercise to, you know, stay healthy and, and keep my body in shape and whatever, but it just became more about confidence and mm-hmm. I don't know, just pushing yourself and strength. And it was like an adrenaline thing that I'd never experienced before. So, you know, <laughs> I loved it. And I love that there were no mirrors. I think that's what attracted to me about it. Like, I actually didn't know there's no mirrors. Yeah, you know what? Like, you like know, to, to check on your form and shit. Yeah, check on your form, but you know what? Like, you don't have to you're not looking at yourself, you know, I feel like that can be a big deterrent, especially for, for a lot of, you know, beginner athletes and you're like picking at yourself and you're looking at your muffin top rolling over your pants and you're just like, you don't need to see that shit. You just, you just yeah. want to, you just need to focus on like getting strong and, and doing what you're doing. So I, I love that aspect and it was such a great community. And uh, anyway, here I am, I've been in practice for, eight years since uh, the day my little guy was born. I just sort of said, I'm going to start, I'm going to start somewhere. And we were new to Ottawa. And uh, so I have a few focus areas in my practice. I have the sport performance piece, which is probably the primary one. I work with teams and individuals um, with, with body comp, athletic performance, all kinds of things. Um, And then there's the celiac and type one stuff as well that I see is a little bit more niche, but um, 
you know, and then sometimes it all comes together where I have an athlete has all the things. Um, Yeah, that's cool. Amazing. So So what, I mean, it is a, it's interesting how you got into the, the sports side, like what, what drove that? Like, was that, did that come later on as you became more athletically involved or engaged, but like what, what drew you to performance? Um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like I, I sort of just happened upon swim team and soccer team as like a, I'm strong and I have this tolerance to push myself that I sort of recognized, but I didn't, I never had channeled that as a kid. Like I never was in sports, like I said. And um, I guess after high school, when I started getting more into, cause I had those team experiences and, and sort of, I guess I liked it. I liked that feeling of, of fitness and pushing myself when I went off to university um, at Queens, you know, I just, I had ready access to, to the gym. Uh, what we knew is the peck at the time. And I was there, I was there all the time. Like, and it just started with like aerobics classes and a little bit of weightlifting and, you know, a little bit of running, like just doing stuff. And then honestly, at that time, I didn't know that much about fueling. Like I just sort of did what I did. And then when I came back to Toronto, I ended up saying, and I get a trainer and I saw a trainer once a week. So it was sort of like a, a cumulative thing. Um, but it's been really consistent since then. And I think, you know, when I, when I tell my clients like how to make changes to body composition, I think what a lot of people don't realize is the consistency. I mean, since, since basically then, since university, I've been doing stuff a lot, you know, like without breaks really, like I'm not crazy. Like I don't train three hours a day or anything, but it's been a consistent cumulative, um, path. Um, trying different things, boxing, running, yoga, you know, then CrossFit, which really, I mean, I didn't look like this before I started CrossFit. So, I mean, I think that was a pivotal, I mean, I build, build muscle pretty easily, but CrossFit really changed it for me. And I think, um, you know, a kind of lifting that you just wouldn't get exposure to, I feel like mm-hmm. if you were just, you know, in the gym doing normal stuff, right. Yeah. You really, really feel empowered, I think, especially as a woman. So Absolutely. Um, and I, I mean, uh, we were talking offline, but it's been great having Pete Shaw as one of our trainers uh, for uh, our self and wellness community because, man, uh, I mean, he's the 29th fittest human being on earth right now. <laughs> yeah, like, for real. You know what I'm saying? Um, so when it comes to fueling, when it comes to, you know, uh, giving your body the best chance to outperform to, to continue to perform well what are some of the key principles that you think of Deb um I mean really it's it's carbs it's protein it's balanced eating you know I feel like I look at the pyramid of what I would tell an athlete a young athlete and and I mean you know the first question I get is supplements and really that's sort of at the very tip of the pyramid um you know the base is really a foundation of a, of a good diet I mean I think you know, you need to be eating high quality food, good quality protein, um, eating throughout the day. And for sure, you know, making sure that if, if, if at all fails, like you got to be timing your nutrition well around your sport. So pre-workout fuel, post-workout recovery fuel. And I mean, most of that should be just coming from good, good food, you know, good nutritious food, um, 
your proteins, your, you know, your, your yogurt, your, your chicken, your, you know, all of that stuff, your tofu. Um, and, and, and if you want, you know, at that point, once you've got that down, then you can start looking at, you know, the few, you know, evidence-based supplements that you can try just to kind of up your game. And, and I mean, for convenience, really just to sort of what we call a supplement is really a supplement, right? It's on top of all the stuff that you need to be doing on a daily basis, you know, and I, and I tell people like, you can't, you know, go to work, have a cup of coffee, don't eat all day, which, you know, and this is really pertinent, I think, to, to you guys who work so hard in, in the hospital and, and don't have the opportunity to eat um, as readily when you're busy with patients and, and stuff like that. So it's really difficult to expect that you would see the results in performance. You say, well, I have a pre-workout snack and then I hit the gym. It's like, well, what did you do the rest of the day, right? So there's a lot, I think, you know, whether it's, it's smoothies to get your nutrition through, through drinking, whatever, whatever works with the daily schedule, quick, you know, grab and go snacks that just keep your body fueled throughout the day. Um, it doesn't have to be fancy, but it does need to be something. And then, you know, pre and post workout recovery, carbs, protein, it's, it's gotta be there. I'd say within the first, you know, hour, hour or two after, um, and ideally like, like a top up right before you, before you hit the gym. So, yeah, I mean, if we focus, because there's a lot of, that's a big topic, I know, but if we focus maybe uh, first on, on safe uh, resistance training or, or yeah. weightlifting, you know, you do get a lot of talk about, make sure you have your, I don't know, pre, have some, some fuel before you get to the gym, there's stuff you're supposed to take after your workout. Yeah. And the, the other component I'd love to hear your opinion on, Deb, is, is, you know, working out in fasted states, because this is, yeah. you know, this is becoming more and more popular. I mean, I, I'll i tell you, I, I, I worked out already today. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't had anything to, to eat or drink except for my coffee and some BCAAs. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I would love to hear your um, perspective on a typical approach to somebody that's doing resistance training. Yeah. Um, for resistance training, I mean, look, I mean, there's, it's, it can be goal specific. And I think one thing that's, uh, underplayed is the gender specific piece as well. Um, men and men at different ages and women at different ages can get away with different things. So that's, that's a whole can of worms I'm pretty passionate about, but, you know, just to keep it simple, I mean, Look, you know, we, if we're talking about energy pathways, I don't think that fasted training is necessarily bad for everybody. But I think if we're looking strictly from a performance standpoint, having glycogen, so a little bit of top up of carbohydrate pre-workout, um, you know, and maybe a little bit of protein just before. So, so even just like seven grams of protein or something a little bit, which honestly, you could get that from a simple latte, you know, you get the caffeine boost you get a little bit of, of sugars from, you know, whatever the milk or the soy milk or something like that. And then a half a banana. So like, you don't need much. Um, we're not talking about like, you need a full huge meal if you're not into that, especially if you're training early, but just getting those blood sugars up just a, just a tiny bit, breaking that fast, because I mean, thinking about it too, overnight, you're catabolic, which means that you're breaking down even naturally, right? Like you're going through a process of breakdown because your body is searching for energy while you're in a fasted state. Um, although lifting and different kind of lifting is not as necessarily high intensity as like, let's say hit training or something like that. 
Um, I still like to see a little bit of, of glucose in there, a little bit of protein um, to make sure that we're not actually breaking down protein and using protein, which are our own most muscles, muscle in order to, to lift. Um, that's not to say that fasted is really bad. And I think, you know, resistance training can tolerate it, like especially lower, lower intensity resistance training can tolerate it a little better than HIIT training and certainly really low intensity steady state stuff. Like if you're just doing like cardio or something like that is, is not bad because you're, you're fat burning anyways in that, in that period of time. And you're not necessarily needing a lot of carbohydrate, but, but I think, um, you know, keeping in mind what really fuels the body and what's going to allow you to get that last rep. I mean, if you're doing sets that are heavy, if you're, if you're trying to build muscle, you don't want to sacrifice any of the muscle that you got. Um, and I know that fasting has some of those things. You lose muscle less than, than other types of diets. Um, but I would say like, you know, if I'm, if I'm just keeping it simple for people who are starting out, um, I'd rather see them start out with like a little bit of carbs. So 15 grams of carbs, like half a banana and a, and a little bit of, and a latte, um, get to it. You probably don't need much besides water. Um, you know, the BCAA is like, if you're fasted, sure, because then you've got some of those amino acids like rolling around for you. So a little bit of protective, you know, uh, addition there. Uh, and then afterwards, protein. I mean, that's where you'd slip in your whey powder, um, make a smoothie, protein and carbs, like honestly, protein and carbs, protein and carbs. Like if you sandwich it like that, like on either end, I mean, you're kind of got the, you sort of got the recipe for pre and post-workout, right? Where, where post-workout, I focus more on the protein and pre-workout a little bit more on the carbohydrate, if that makes sense. Um, and hydration is always a thing. I mean, you should be staying hydrate as much as possible with, with fluids, you know, overall. Yeah. We, we just found out we get, we're, we're interviewing, uh, Dr. Ted Naaman. And one of the things that I think we underappreciate is how much protein we actually should be having, depending on your goals, obviously, whether it's maintenance or to build, uh, build muscle, but we probably, most people are probably under, uh, under proteinizing that's a word. I just made it up. Yeah. I mean, I see two, I see two things happening. I mean, for starters, I will say that I think the health Canada's guidelines for protein intake is off, off base, um, to like way too, too low, like way too yeah. low, way too low for, I mean, you know, sufficient, like we're, we're, we're talking like you're not going to get quash your core or something like that. But I mean, for most people, especially those people who are trying to maintain a good body composition, like not even athletic performance. I mean, for, for satiety and, and for all kinds of other things, uh, especially females like after the age of 40. I mean, 0.8 to one gram, gram per, uh, per kilogram of protein is, is really, I mean, it's sufficient, but it's, it's not, I don't think it's, it's optimal. Um, and then I think there's those people who think, you know, they don't know what a serving of protein really is. So they have people who are, when I say, you know, you need a gram of protein per pound of body weight or of, of, of healthy body weight, um, they, they think that means they eat to need to eat like 14 chicken breasts a day, you know, when in reality, like a palm sized piece of chicken breast, which is about three or four ounces is like 35 grams of protein. And that's probably like, I mean, if you had that, 
30 to 30 to 40 grams of protein at, at your meals. And then a little bit here at snacks and in, in your recovery, uh, nutrition, you're, you're hitting, you're going to hit the mark. Do you know what I'm saying? So, you know, um, but I do see a lot of people, especially those who are skipping meals or, you know, plant-based people who just aren't, aren't necessarily thinking about it. And it's a little bit more challenging to get it. Um, it's not as readily available. They have to put a little bit more planning in that, that, you know, they are, they are low in protein. I mean, they're not getting, they're not getting that gram per pound. And I think that can make a huge difference. Um, energy, you know, body comp changes, if that's what you're going for. I mean, we're not even talking like gains here. We're just yeah. talking like, you know, I think even just weight maintenance, there's just so much evidence around high protein diets, you know, without, without a lot of risk, I think is, is the main thing too, unless, you know, there's kidney disease or something like that, which, you know, even then <laughs> I think we're seeing more and more the, the, the positives of high protein, Absolutely. very, very, very few negatives really. Absolutely. No, these are very good points. Cause yeah, I do. I mean, as a non-nutritionist, but de- like reading more and more about this, I, I definitely hear you in terms of, oh, we were probably under recommending uh, protein ingestion. And there's, I mean, as you mentioned, so many benefits, like you'll feel fuller energies up, you know, you're likely to eat less bullshit right. if, you're, if, you're protein, if you're all proteined up. So, yeah. And I mean, I think so. too, you know, for people who are being more mindful of their weight and are keeping their carbs lower, um, you know, which I'm cool with too, you know, you think you don't need to eat a lot. You just need the right kinds around the right times. If you're eating a higher protein diet, some of that is also, you know, might break down into a little bit of glycogen as well. So you're, you're almost, I mean, on so many levels, protein has so many benefits, right? It, it spikes the metabolism a little bit. It keeps you fuller. You know, it less of that energy goes, goes, gets stored as fat. I mean, it, I mean, I could go on and on. So, I mean, I feel like if there was like one takeaway from today, whether it's like related to athletic performance specifically, or even just, you know, weight management and, and health, I think, I think looking at somebody's protein intake is one of the first things that I do um, with most of my clients. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So does, how much of the approach changes if you're thinking you're more conditioned athlete? So if you're a triathlete, you're a runner, you're a cyclist, how much does that change your approach much in terms of pre post or in that case, some kind sometimes during. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the during is usually much more of a thing, um, hydration and, and glucose replacement during, if, if we're talking like long events, um, 100% different from like your average CrossFitter or anything like that. I mean, or, or somebody who's just, you know, doing a Greco or something like that. Um, in all honesty, the protein doesn't change that much. I'll, I'll say that, you know, in my opinion, uh, I know that endurance athletes tend to think that they don't need as much protein because they're not trying to build muscle. But in fact, what they are, what you do need to do is you need to protect muscle because aerobic, uh, especially long duration endurance training is much more catabolic to protein. Um, when I say that, I mean your own muscle mass, right? Um, and the lower you are in glycogen, so that carb store, right, which you would be after longer, longer sessions, um, the more at risk your protein is, right? Because your body's thinking, well, 
where am I, where am I getting that energy from? It's got to break down something. So it'll, it'll look for other things and, and protein, your own, your own protein is one of those things. Um, so, so I'd say for, for athletes, whether you're endurance or resistance, um, that gram per pound, or, or maybe a little bit more, depending on, you know, how lean you are, what your goals are, is, is a good standard. I mean, look, if you're 50 pounds overweight, you probably don't need a gram per pound. I mean, I, I would say it's sort of more gram per pound of ideal body weight. Um, and if you're somebody who's not training a lot and you're just the average person trying to lose weight, I would still recommend that not for the purposes of gaining muscle mass, but for the metabolic purposes of protein and satiation. So um, does that, does that sort of make sense? Um, what I like about it is it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's simple. It is simple. I mean, it is <laughs> you know simple. I, mean? I think high protein, a lot of people say to me, but I'm not an athlete, you know, do I need that much protein? And I would say, well, you know, need is, 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 is a word that I don't, you know, need, but, but I think in terms of optimal, body composition like i usually have two people coming to me i have the athletes who are looking for performance and i have the people who are saying i want to lose weight right i mean i do get a few other types of people but that would be the main thing and for either either sect of those populations that high protein diet has so many benefits they may not be for the exact same reasons but they have you know so many benefits uh the main the main difference for somebody who's a performance athlete versus somebody who's just sort of you know a weekender or somebody who's just, you know, they don't consider themselves an athlete, but they're active, I would say would be the carbs, um, more so than, than the protein, to be honest, because the volume, um, the recovery, uh, you know, when we're talking performance, I mean, fasted training could be cool for like, if you're trying to stay lean and, you know, you want to look a certain way for aesthetics, if you're talking performance, fasted and carb no carb is is just it is not like the two don't really does that make sense they don't really like aren't really in line because every study looks at you need glycogen to perform i mean if you're looking for speed if you're looking for power if you're looking for gains um you know whether you're a rower or you know a soccer player or a swimmer or a triathlete i mean these are all carb-based sports, right? These are not, you know, okay. The only person that I would say would be really doing well on, on really a fat-based diet and low carb diet would be a very, very, very well-trained long distance endurance athlete who has ideal genetics for that. Um, but that is to say too, that at a certain point, their speed for distance will go d decrease if they don't have enough carbs on board. I mean, Deb, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I don't want to get into the weeds too, but like, you know, I, I do have a lot of like uh, keto friends that point me towards the, I think it's Master John's, his last name, I think, and talking about how uh, fat adaptive or being uh, like some of these, uh, uh, there's some, uh, I don't know, some, some of these fat adaptive keto athletes endurance athletes are doing okay I, I don't i haven't looked at the studies to say go head to head but to me on paper when you need energy the basic fuel you know fuel source is carb you yeah. know what i mean so yeah. i think if you're you're trying to excel that's right this this is i think this is intuitive to at least to me 
Yeah. I mean, look, you can't, it's hard to really bypass the physiology, right? I mean, you look at, you know, you look at in a certain anaerobic zone when you don't have oxygen, which is like CrossFit. I mean, I don't know about you, but you're doing CrossFit. If you're, if you're able to breathe steadily and have no problem, you know, breathing, you're probably not, you're not doing what CrossFit's meant to be doing. I mean, we're talking anaerobic here. So, you know, the caveat there is that CrossFit's really short duration. So the amount of curves that you need for that is actually not a lot as long as it's well-timed because it's, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes. I mean, it doesn't, you don't need to have like 14 cups of pasta, but, but a little banana or something like that will, will, you know, do, do you a lot of good. And I mean, that's not to say that people doing keto, you know, aren't seeing some good results. And, and I would say that from a body comp standpoint, they might, they might look more shredded. I mean, they don't have the glycogen, they don't have the fluid, you know, that's why. So, so yeah, sure. Um, from a performance standpoint, I mean, you have to do a side-by-side of, are you as fast? Do you feel as gassed? You know, are you able to lift as heavy? And I think, I think no, (laughs) you know, I think that would be the, and maybe that's not the goal. And if that's the case, then, then that's fine. The reality is though, I think that you'll get to a certain point doing that where you'll hit a plateau because you're not able to lift heavier and you will be getting a little bit more gassed. Um, And I've often, had that discussion with athletes where they think they're doing well because they get through it, you know, they get through it and they feel like, you know, feeling exhausted and and feeling like they're working at their max is kind of normal. But then, you know, they start eating carbs and they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now, you know what I mean? There's a difference between performing and then performing optimally. Um, So for people who are trying, I think to race, I mean, there's also a difference between what you do in your training and what you're doing. If you're trying to like, you know, hit a certain time or, achieve that you are going to be doing better on carbs. I mean, it's so it's, it's in the, it's in the literature, Louise Burke, I mean, Trent Strallingworth, they're like, there's so many people that have done really awesome studies on this. It's, it's not really negotiable. Uh, that being said, keto is cool too. Like I've done, I've done keto with lots of clients, but they're usually, we're usually looking at it from a different metabolic approach and a different reason why, if I have a type two, you know, obese client who's getting into activity and they've got a lot of fat to, to, to burn. Um, and they're not doing well with carbs because they've got a lot of insulin resistance. Like that makes total sense. Right. So I think it depends. Yeah. And I think if I'm being honest with our group, it would be a lot of people that are, you know, either trying to maintain or lose some weight and also just hit some personal best with, you know, whether it is that, you know, triathlon, whether it is that, uh, 5k, like uh, no one's here is going to the NHL. You know what I'm saying? So I I think it's uh, a bit of mix. If I'm being honest with, uh, you know, body composition, maintaining their weight, uh, and, and just making some personal gain, uh, personal gains in terms of trying to challenge themselves. Um, the other thing that I I, I thought I would ask too, which I think we might be getting a similar answer, but I got to make sure I can ask answer this those of us that are playing like the team sports whether that's soccer uh, basketball hockey any of the approaches uh in terms of like really trying to make sure that we're especially i'm selfishly as we're aging yeah uh, i am the oldest guy on most of my hockey teams um but uh yeah any any advice regards regarding uh team sports so team sports are typically in the category of power sport. So, you know, you've got that stop sort of sprint stop sort of high intensity, um, explosive work that's being done. 
I would say the same thing kind of goes like, I would put it in the same category as sort of a CrossFit type of thing with, you know, potentially more carbs being needed because they can last, you know, over that 20, you know, depending on what you're doing across the 20, 20 minutes, they're, they're usually a longer, longer go at it. Um, and I think it depends on how much time, you know, when I, when I ask an athlete or, or someone like you, like, well, what do you do? It's like, well, I play hockey for an hour and I'm like, well, how much of that time is on the bench and how much of that time is actually like on the ice because you know you're there for an hour but are you playing for an hour and that makes a difference in terms of my recommendations um i think you know for for an over an hour if you're really sweating there may be some electrolyte needs just because of the sweat losses uh, especially if you're playing out in the heat uh, in hockey you're wearing a lot of gear um so often there's higher levels of um fluid and and, and, and electrolyte losses i would say so over that 60 to 75 minute mark um, if you're playing soccer, if you're playing basketball, if you're playing any of those things, I would still say an hour before you grab a fruit, you know, that kind of thing, like just keep it simple or like a yogurt bowl with fruit, like that's my go-to or, you know, a little like banana oatmeal muffin or something like that. Um, like even those fruit squeezy pouches, like just something that's got like a quick, energy source so that you're, you know, a, a slice of peanut butter and toast, um, like really simple things. Uh, and our X bar is like a go-to of mine. Cause it's just got like really short list of ingredients, um, 15 grams of protein, you know, some carbs coming in, you're going to burn it off and then you come home and, you know, you go eat dinner or, or whatever. And if you're not going to go eat dinner, you're going to have like just have a shake, you know, like a whey shake and a banana, like ready to go. Um, and then you can kind of chill for a bit and eat, eat a meal in, in a couple of hours from then. Um, so I feel like, you know, for, for a lot of people, if they're planning it around, you know, going and then having dinner, you don't necessarily need to plug in an extra recovery snack. I think a lot of, you know, people are like chugging their shakes when they might not need to. Um, but if you know that you're going to be playing and then you're not going to be eating a meal for several hours, um, it's good to just take care of that recovery there. And I think it depends how many times a week you're going, like, how, what are you doing? Like, is it, you know, once a week and then you're not doing anything in the rest of the week, like you're probably going to be fine if you just wait and eat, you know, mm-hmm. um, when was your last meal before you played that kind of thing, you know? So if, mm-hmm. you know, if you had lunch two hours before you might be fine. No, good points. Yeah, I, I know these are tough questions because it's like, you know, there's there's a lot of nuance when it comes to that. But um, what about uh, recovery in general? So once again, a lot of us not getting any younger. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think specifically when I, I look at some of these CrossFit athletes and I, I mean, if I did that many reps, I think I'd be, you know, I'd be in a wheelchair right now. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> You know, I, I'll speak selfishly too. Like, you know, if I, if it's a big, if I play two hockey, like two games in, in one day, I'm crawling out of bed, for example. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, so any, any tips in terms of enhancing recovery? Um. So when it comes to enhancing recovery, I would say nutrient timing is the piece that's more important, especially, I mean, you gave the example of a double game. I mean, that, the, the more you've got packed into a day, like if you have less time in between sessions or if you're training t- once in the morning and once in, in you know, at night, 
you got to, you got to think to yourself, okay, so now my training's been condensed. I have less hours to fill my glycogen stores back up, left less time to recover. So, you know, whether I'm talking to an athlete or someone like you, you know, that, that sort of time frame after where we might have two hours on a normal day, we have the quicker that you can get that in the, the more you're taking advantage of those muscles that are super primed at that point to, to take up energy, right? The longer you wait, I mean, sometimes we, you know, we overestimate this in, in most cases, I think you do have a window, but when we're talking about optimal recovery for, for intense stuff where we're trying to, you know, really take advantage of it, you're the most insulin sensitive at the time, right after your muscles are asking for it. Um, and so from a, from the standpoint of, you know, take advantage of that time to eat. I mean, even if it's from like a weight management perspective and body comp management, I mean, that is when you want to have your carbs because like they're going right into that gas tank. You know, you've got that capacity to store, to store carbs there. You've emptied the stores. It's, it's like your gas tank, right? You've, you've driven to Montreal, you're on low and your body's like, those cells are really receptive to taking in that energy. So the protein and the carbs coming in together as a combo, um, right in that sort of as quick as you can after will enhance the recovery as much as possible. So in, in those cases, the longer you wait, I mean, you're not going to die, but you're just not, it's not as optimal as, as sort of getting it in quickly. Um, and I think that hydration is a bit underestimated as well. So you will see pretty significant losses in um, performance, you know, on very pretty minor levels of dehydration. So I think that's something to consider as, you know, especially as it's getting hot outside and, and we're just losing more fluid, even just, you know, in our daily activities, um, water and potentially electrolytes, if, if there's going to be extensive time, you know, on the ice, losing fluids, losing sweat, losing sodium and that kind of thing. I don't know if that helps. I mean, you know, sleep sleep is something we haven't really talked about, but, but from a recovery standpoint, I mean, I think there's the food piece, but then there's also the other stuff. Like, are you mobilizing, you know, Mm. we're getting old here, man. Like, you know, look, we can't, we can't get away with just, you know, rushing in and doing, doing the, the wad and, and not warming up. Like we need a warm up. We need, you know, to be mobilizing after. And, and one of the things that I see a lot of, especially my female athletes, master's level athletes with, with perimenopause and menopause coming in. I mean, man, it's rough. Like sleep is shit, you know, and they're trying Mm. to do so much. They're like, they're feeling fatter. Hormones are crappy. They're not sleeping. So they're trying to eat less and then they're not eating enough. And then they take out carbs. And then they're just like all of these things that we think are good. You know, they're training more, they're sleeping less, they're eating less. So they're like, and, and then they're taking carbs away. I mean, they're doing all of these things in the efforts to, to shrink that, you know, menopause that's happening, like that seems to be out of their control. But in reality, what they're doing is they're just elevating that cortisol and, and actually things tend to get worse. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's a little bit more pronounced, I think, for females coming into that like post 40 timeframe, which I'm sure is a lot of the people that are going to be tuning in. So I think that's important to, to talk about. Um, but men too, I mean, as you get older, testosterone levels are lower, you know, joints and stuff like that, then they're just not the same. So, so recovery in terms of sleep, like sometimes less is more in a way, 
then mm-hmm. perfect more, 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 more. And then, you know, add the stress of work and you guys are in high stress jobs. I mean, it's all cumulative, you know, not a lot of sleep. And then you're trying to work out and then you try to work out harder and, <laughs> and then you probably are skipping meals and not really eating, you know, I mean, in, in a way it's almost like, you might just need to tone it down a little bit because you're not adapting to training very well in those circumstances. I'm glad you brought this up because I get this question a lot from the like the 40 plus female crowd actually about, you know, should I be fasting? Should I be eating more protein? Should I be low carb? And, you know, um, I think it comes down to that a lot of these things can stress the body. Like, obviously, there's not a cookie cutter solution for everybody. But in this specific crowd, I'm noticing that things that may work when they're younger are maybe a little bit more challenging. And so I mean, you're 100% right. And that's why I say I mean, and I'm I'm really sensitive to this. I've just finished a course on um, menopausal athletes. And it was fascinating. Um, If anyone's interested in that area, Stacey Sims is like, honestly, she's my idol. She's like, everything to do with women and and athletics if you if you haven't read her heard of her look her up um it's 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 funny because all of the women athletes in that category or even just recreational athletes they're trying so hard but they're not recognizing i mean that level of cortisol and is really really important and i do feel that Fasting, like I've seen fasting work for some people, but honestly, I've seen it not work for most of my female clients. And and even if we're looking at the data and the literature, it's it's tough. Like it's tough being in my shoes because I try to give evidence-based information. But the, the reality is, is that how many studies do you think there are on perimenopausal women doing fasted resistance training? I mean, when we look at the results of fasted training, we're probably looking at the results from like a bunch of 25 or 18 year old, you know, university dudes who like have no trouble building muscle mass or at the peak level of testosterone. I mean, you could probably tell them to eat French fries and they'd probably, you know, change their body composition. So, so the real, and I mean, it goes for men too. Like I think more so for women who, who struggle to build muscle and, and keep body fat lower at baseline than a, than a man would. But if you're, if you're looking at, you know, even the research and the data, it's hard because there really isn't enough looking at that group at that age, you know, at that stage of life. And so I think, you know, you got to try different things, but I would say even anecdotally and observationally, the women that I see fasting or doing keto um, and trying to exercise and build muscle and train and, and do that kind of stuff, they're not, they're kind of flatlining, to be honest. They're not, they're not getting stronger they're not really feeling better. And they think that this is what they should be doing. So they stick with it. And then you ask them like, well, how's your performance? Like, are you, are you, are you getting better? Are you feeling strong? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, maybe, well, maybe it's time to change that, you know? And, and a lot of the time, what, what I find, especially again with women is that they'll fast. And then they're like, I can't figure out why I'm craving sugar and I'm snacking at night and I'm like, I'm always, you know, snacking at night and I'm like, I feel like I'm binging at night and they think it's because they're weak or they're like not disciplined enough or, you know, and a lot of it comes out of blame. And I'm like, well, 
you know, I think, I think you're fucking hungry. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think you're hungry yeah. and you're under fueled and you're, you're having hot flashes and you're not sleeping and cortisol's driving that, you know? So I'm like, maybe eat some breakfast, up your protein, you know, maybe take a recovery day. And, and then honestly, things, things actually start to improve a little bit when that happens. Amen. I think the other component to what you're throwing down is yes, for the performance athletes that are, or the those that are taking their health health really seriously, they they have that resistant training element. But I think that a lot of people that in at least that come to me aren't, especially peri COVID, do not have that resistance training element to their it repertoire. It is nothing. I have to. It is nothing. Yeah. I am like so passionate about resistance training. Like you have no idea. I I mean, I mean, we've on the show, we, people know that. Uh, I think it's, I mean, it's so important when it comes to your insulin resistance, when it comes to your metabolism, when it comes to your body comp, if you care, uh, your overall physical well-being as we get older we talk about like frailty and and be able to res, you know overcome that fall that you have i'll tell you even uh one of my favorite stories was a, a, a patient we had that you know in the icu in his 70s worked out five days a week and had a cardiac arrest and i, I promise you people he would not be at home right now being able to play with his grandkids if he wasn't having that that level of, of fitness and physical training? I mean, look, I think, you know, there's a few things. I mean, I think with with COVID, you know, one of the things a lot of people have lost is just that NEAT, the like non-exercise associated thermogenesis, you know, like that. The tech- I've never heard that term. What, so basically, like when we look at what's contributing to our daily energy expenditures, we have like that, that the RMR, that resting metabolic rate, right, which is your height, your weight, you know, your age, whatever, your gender, different components, you know, your muscle mass you've got, and then you've got those, the exercise, right? So that depends on what, what you're actually doing, the intensity, the volume. And then we have what we call this like neat. So the non-exercise associated thermogenesis, which in, includes like just, you know, the fact that you're ambulatory and not lying in a hospital bed, you're doing daily things. And I think for a lot of us, we've, we put a lot on that 30 minute of exercise that we're doing that, you know, we're not in the gym and we're panicking that, you know, we're not working as hard and stuff like that, but we're, we're underestimating the fact that a lot of, a lot of that energy burn comes from just, you know, the fact that like before COVID I was getting in the car, taking the kids to school, getting in the car, getting out of the car, going to the store, walking around the store, like, and then, you know, and now I'm just like <laughs> sitting here, you know what I mean? Like yeah. limiting my time out, limiting my time. So there's a lot less of that. And I think a lot, a lot of people say like, you know, we, we need to focus on our exercise and, and spend that 30 minutes of good quality exercise and good quality nutrition. I totally plug the resistance training as a priority if you had to pick. And then think about, you know, just moving more, like just general, general daily activity, like because that that stuff accumulates, I think, and it's not as stressful too. Like it's not as much stress on the body. So I think if we're thinking about also the cumulative stress of like work and COVID and sleep and you know what women are going through or men are going through as they're aging and like all the stuff going on with family, sometimes adding a really, really intense workout is adding insult to injury, especially if you're not 
fueling well and you're not able to plan your meals and you're not sleeping well, but, but, but what might be more possible is just to be doing more low level activity. That's also cumulative. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. we underestimate the importance of that and sometimes overestimate, you know, that we need to be pushing ourselves as hard as, as CrossFit. And if we can't, then we suck, you know, (laughs) like it's not, this, this, this is the beauty of these, uh, these uh like uh the uh, apple watches or your fitbits or whatever like sometimes like say back in the day you uh, i'd always uh comment this like some we used to have the boys over their families over on sundays for football day shake care of man tanks right and if you go smoke you know put something on the barbecue you're up at them you're getting chairs and all that stuff you would have so many steps like you're standing yeah, yeah. most of the day you're standing and like Honestly, it's it's underappreciated when you're moving. Right now, I'm interviewing you from a stand up desk. You know the the that extra neat, I guess. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? From standing, that helps, yo. And it's it's such a good point that we forget about. I I mean, if I were king for the day, these Zoom meetings would be mobile, yo. To, <laughs> take off, right. stop the stop the video, or put the video on if you want. If you really, like, when you need to speak or whatever. But I'd be hustling. I'd get everybody moving. Walking, go for your walk. Yeah, like walking Zoom meeting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, st- I think the, the good thing about you guys, like in you know, I know like the nurses and the healthcare professionals. Like at least for you, you're you are you know a lot of you are up and about. I mean, I know my husband on a merge shift. I mean, he's he's on his feet the whole, the whole night. I mean, the whole, the whole shift. Right. I mean, so there's a, there's a nice, that's a nice piece of that built into your job is that there is some activity. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's the perspective of, you know, a lot of us feel like we're not doing enough. And and I think, you know, another, another thing I see is a lot of people are spending a lot of time doing cardio. And I just feel like if I had to pick, you know, plugging away like a hamster, it just isn't going to change body composition. And I'm so much more interested in that than I am about weight loss. Right. And I feel like people see that as being a synonymous term, but it's absolutely not in my mind, the difference between changing your body composition and losing weight. I mean, who cares about losing weight? Cause all you have, all you, all you do when you lose weight is you shrink that BMR, you know, and then you gotta eat less and then what, you know? So I would rather you say like, sure, keep track of your diet and then, do some strength training, build some muscle, and that's going to burn your energy for you, especially moving forward as we age, which is so important, right? Because it's a natural process of aging is that we lose that. We lose mm-hmm. muscle. So we're just trying to stay ahead of it. Yeah. Lift heavy shit. I mean, that's, I always say that. I think it's so I, key. I love it too. And uh, I mean, one of the things too, that I, why I loved the concepts within CrossFit is you could do some of these high intensity interval training. Uh, if you add that into your, into your repertoire, when you're going to compare that to, to say doing like a, I don't know, 45 minute jog, like you're going to get some more at times you can get more bang for your buck with high intensity training, uh, interval training, which obviously could be a lot less time consuming, especially if you're, you know, time is of the essence. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think there's different, there's, there's a lot of different interesting things around, you know, the science between behind that. I think it really depends on your goals. Like if you're an endurance athlete and you're going to say, I want to run a marathon. I mean, sure. You need to spend 80, 80% of your time in low zone. You got to be going for longer periods of time. But when it comes to busy lifestyles, getting the most bang for your buck, 
Um, I think HIIT training is, is, is great. And, and I mean, I think it's just about starting somewhere with, with the weights and, and understanding that pushing the weights as, you know, progressive overload. I mean, you know, every few weeks, try to get a little bit heavier and stay consistent. Consistency is so important. So important, you know, consistency with your food, consistency with your hydration, you know, having that little bit of a plan so that you're not one week on and then two weeks, you don't do anything. And then you can oh, back on. And then, oh, like four days in a row, like I didn't do anything. I mean, it's so, I feel like that's where a lot of frustration sets in for, for clients because they perceive that they're putting in effort um, and they're doing the best that they can. But at the same time, it's very hard to see change when there's so much disruption, right? Like a week and then there's nothing and then a week and then there's nothing. And then they think that they're doing stuff, but at the same time, it, it's hard to, to step, to take the step, to take the step, to take the step and build, build, build when there's all this time interrupting that, right? So I feel like, you know, if the realistic goal is to say like, let's do three days a week instead of five days a week, let's do that three days and then three days and then three days so that every week you've got that ability to, to push and, and grow because, you know, people think, well, I haven't really built any muscle. I haven't really lost any weight. I, I don't really feel any stronger, but it's like, but you haven't been at it long enough, you know, and, I, and that's frustrating, but the consistency just isn't there, you know? So, I mean, when we look at like, okay, I'm jacked. And you know, this didn't happen overnight. This didn't even happen over a year. This, this, I look different now than I did even after my son was born, you know, like I, and I can't really explain that because I'm not training harder. I'm crossfitting less. I've been training in my house for two years. I mean, doing what with like a, a pair of dumbbells, but the reality is it's that it's been a progressive, it's been a progressive, you know, change and accumulation for, I don't know. I'm 30, I'm, I'm 38. Like since I was 20, 23, you know, doing different things, but doing something consistently. And I think people, yeah. you know, it's, I think it's about setting realistic goals for yourself, but, but sticking with it. Right. I love it so much. Cause I mean, we're cut from the same cloth. Like I, I, I like the consistency, the, the habit forming the routines, once you get that rhythm, you'll, you'll magic happens. Like, uh, you know, like for me doing, doing some form of, of, you know, resistance training, getting the body moving almost daily is so like, it's just life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just, and you know, whether you start off once a week, three times a week, five days a week, whatever it might be, you know, this is where you get your gains. And, and, but I like what you also said, Deb, about making them realistic. This is, I think one of the most underrated, uh tools to to for success because some some cats will be like yo i'm i'm you know it's post christmas yeah you know what i mean it's a new year i got my resolution i'm going five days a week an hour i got my right. personal oh, yeah. trainer i'm sure. feeling good let's go you know what i'm saying and then uh four weeks later like i love it i hate i hate january in the gym yeah. but all it takes is a month before everyone else is like, then it gets quiet again. I got my space. You know what I mean? So like, uh, I, I really, I think you hit the nail with that, uh, Deb. Absolutely. No, and, and I think for, for, for me with, with clients who are sort of, you know, I think with COVID too, they've been really, people have been really thrown off their routine. So it's hard. Like, look, 
I live for it. And, and after the weekend, I have usually my rest days. I can't wait to get started again. Like I feel a difference in my body and my energy level. Like, I mean, it's, it's a physical thing for me now, but at the same time, you know, I think, I think it's a, what I would say is I would say just, I don't care what you're doing to start off. I don't care if it's like, if it's yoga or it's a walk or whatever, although I'm plugging strength training, I mean, that's, maybe that's, maybe that's in the future. What I think people, you know, what I think people should do or, or where I think success would happen is to say, I'm going to just block off that half an hour to do whatever it is that I'm going to do to start off. So that if it starts with a walk, it's a walk three times a week. And you're just saying, Right now, I'm not going to worry too much about like how hard I'm pushing. You know, I want to still enjoy this. I don't want to get too discouraged because discouragement is like the root of all evil, you know, and makes you not want to do it again. So I say, and for two weeks, just say, I'm going to do that every time, every time, so that you're blocking off the time. And then that becomes a routine. And then you have a good breakfast after, and you're like, okay, so now I'm feeling like, that walk signified the time in my day where I'm going to exercise and then I'm gonna follow up with a good meal. So in four weeks from now, if you're going from walking, you say, okay, so now one of the days I'm gonna say, I'm gonna find a workout video that I like and that's what I'm gonna plug in instead of the walk because I'm feeling more confident now. And you still, now you've got that routine going. So it's like, I think a lot of it is just sectioning off the time and making the habit. And then whatever it is that you do in that time, the hardness that you work, the specific program that you follow. I mean, to me, those are the specificities, but it's not necessarily the thing that's gonna give you the success building because the success building I think is saying that I do this, you know, I do this and I'm doing it consistently and it's there and that you've planned it and you're eating properly and you're doing all the things and it's all in place. So that, you know, in two months from now, when you're like, now this is part of my life, now I can do like, I can get fancy with it, you know, and have the fun. And like, then you really will start seeing the success, but you know, it's already in your, in your schedule. You're, you're used to it. Right. People process over outcome, yeah. <laughs> focus on the process. It's true. I think. And you'll, and it'll get you home. You'll get the outcome. But if you, your mindset is focused on the process. You get up, you do your activity, that 30 minute activity, whether it's Zumba, synchronized swimming, <laughs> roundhouse kicking. Oh my God. I don't know. For you uh, like as an ICU doc with your schedule all over the place, like what do you do? Do you just look at your week ahead of time and say, okay, this is my week. I'm in, I'm in the hospital these times and then I'm home these times and I fit it in or is it just like I, you get? I, I wish I was more it'd probably be smarter, but with the three little ones and then the schedule when you don't know when you're going to come home, I just, you know, it just took on this job as like a department head, like it's like a lot of chaos. And so what I try and do is I focus on uh, high intensity, like, like bang for your buck activities. Yeah. Um, I like if I'm, it's a work week. One of the things I'll do, I'll wake up, stretch a little bit, do my push-ups and then bang out 50 kettlebell swings. And I'm like, at least I did something today. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cool. And then, and then in the evenings, if I'm home, uh, whether it's like, maybe I get to play hockey that night or, uh, this time of year, maybe softball, but yeah, maybe I'll bang out like, uh, like, a like a 10 minute, like routine, which is focused on, um, uh, like a resistant training, uh, 10 minute workout 
where I like, you know, high rep, like I do, do a bunch of reps in a short period of time. Right. Um, a day like this, like I, where I, like I get the uh, my day off, off. Yeah. but uh, yeah, I did uh, squat day, yeah. you know? So I, I just got to my favorite type of workout where you get to like, like I take my time during sets when, when I'm not rushed, like I'm like the three minute, five minute, check my phone. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like I, I, I'm that, I got that kind of rhythm. But then, uh, you know, just pump up about five for five kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, loading, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I, w- I wish I, I, I think if I was smarter, you're right. I should be plugging this into my schedule and get my plan on or whatever. It's just, there's so much chaos in this yeah, house. I get it. I get it. In my world. I mean, for right. me right now, it's just sort of like whenever it fits. So I don't have a regular time, but I do have, I sort of look at my week and I'm like, it's going to be here. It's going to be here. It's going to be here, you know? And, and in reality, I do try to, to block my time a little bit. So I fit in a 30 minute workout, but, but it's not what it, it's not what it was, you know, like it's not, it's not what my, my life looked like a year and a half ago when I, you know, would have an hour, an hour and a half, like sort of take it easy and go to the gym and have a full thing, you know, now it's like, And, and so you got to work with that, you know, you just sort of have to say, okay, well, it's maintenance phase. Like just do something that, that works and like in and out, like, like you said, do you, do you worry about overtraining? Like does that, do, overtraining? Like does that, overtraining? To your mind, right? oh, thing, yeah. for sure. I mean, I would say, um, yeah, like I do see people who, who are overtraining. I mean, personally, I don't, I don't think so. Although, you know, I feel like if you're always having a lot of DOMs, like, like, you know, that, uh, that delayed onset muscle onset, you know, like if you're always experiencing that, or, you know, if you feel like you're training really hard and, and you're really, really training, you're really, really training and you're really not seeing changes or, or sometimes regressions, uh, those are, those are signs of, of overtraining, right? Because the, the, the neurological stimulus and, you know, the fatigue, muscular fatigue. I mean, your, your, your muscles can't actually like, if you think about the repair process, they actually need time to, they're, they're torn, you know, to actually repair and build. So, so sometimes, you know, more isn't always, isn't always better. I mean, forget about the nutrition piece, but sometimes, you know, because if that's a mess, then it's a mess. But, but if, if you're overtraining and you're constantly doing more and more and more, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean more is better. You know, I, I mean, as an interesting example, I love CrossFit, don't get me wrong, but after my second kid, I had some pelvic floor issues and, you know, three months, three months back at CrossFit and I thought that I was taking my time and blah, blah, blah. My, my back wasn't doing great. And I thought, what's going on here? Like, and I had to take a step away and I, and I went back to just sort of traditional strength training uh, with a coach. I mean, there was a couple of months spent there doing like really working on my movement patterns and a lot of core work. I mean, I thought I, you know, how could I be deadlifting, you know, 285 and have a weak core? Well, I can tell you right now, I mean, my core was like dead, dead to the world. You know, I was back to doing like these stability ball exercises. And, and when I was, was taking more time, I would say like, I, it seemed like lower intensity work, but it was, really good strength work, like really good and focusing on my deficiencies. And when I went back to CrossFit, like two years later, I hadn't snatched, I hadn't back squatted. I mean, I'd been doing mostly front squat and like RDLs and and all kinds of other, 
weird things with, with my coach, but I back squatted more than I ever squatted. I snatched my heaviest, like I PR'd on my snatch. I mean, to me, that was crazy. And it was just a sign of like, maybe at the time I was squatting every day. You know what I mean? Like maybe I didn't need to be squatting every day, high rep doing like, you know, as many cleans as I can for time to see effective results. I mean, you know, so, so as much as like, I, I love, I do love CrossFit for, for certain things. And I, and I get my high off of it. I do think that there's something also to be said for, you know, like focused, focused, good quality efforts. And it doesn't always mean more, 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 you know, (laughs) like. Absolutely. But I can't believe, I can't uh, even tell you how many people have told me similar stories where they just step out, work on some fundamentals uh, or do different exercises altogether. Then they go in and they just bang out PRs for their Olympic lifts because of they, they got back, they, they, they worked on their fundamentals. Um, you know, and I think they, as frustrating as injuries are, you know, sometimes they force you to take a step back and, and work on something that you've probably been ignoring, which is probably why you were injured. And, and I would say, you know, every time I was injured, which hasn't actually been that many times, but there's been a couple of things in the post-pregnancy stuff, like as much as I hated it at the time, because I couldn't, you know, bang out reps and do the things I want to be doing, which are really an ego thing in the end. Um, it's, it's been, a, those have all been learning paths and learning journeys that I now share with my clients who, you know, there's, there's always the same typical things. It's like shoulder injuries because we sit like this and we do everything like this. It's like pelvic floor stuff. It's, it's core stuff that it's glute stuff, you know? And, um, sometimes just, just being in the situation where you have to change something and, and do something else actually is an opportunity rather than a disadvantage. I mean, even this whole, like, I never thought I'd be working out at home. Like, I mean, I never did. And I was like, well, it's COVID. I got to do something. So I guess it's going to be, you know, body weight workouts in my basement for a while versus nothing because that's not doing something wasn't an option. And, and, and in so doing, I think that, you know, I realized, oh, like, I really suck at holding movements, you know, or like really suck at isometric things. Or, you know, sometimes these high rep things with really light weights. I'm like, I'm really bad at that. Like, you know, (laughs) so, so, you know, it's sort of, you find, you find different challenges, which instead of being down about it, I feel like it's sort of an opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to do something different and get better at that for a while. And it might not be you know, able to, to, to snatch as heavy when I go back, but I'll probably be better at other things. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, I, I love it. Cause, um, as somebody that's personally had some, you know, in and out of injuries, it's, it's, it's so true being able to focus on other activities just, and like I said, I often find that you take that time when you come back, you're even that much better because you got your uh, accessory muscles and, and your fundamentals are down. Yeah, for sure. Deb, I gotta say, thank you tremendously. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. First of all, learned a ton. I actually like, I'm going to tweak my recovery too. Like I, I, I do think, uh, I could be eating a little bit quicker before. Are you going to start, you gonna start eating breakfast now before you train? You're like, no, I don't no, think so. Dad. No, not not yet, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, but, uh, I think this is amazing. I think a lot of our crew is going to really appreciate this. 
And so oh, yeah. where can people get a hold of you, Deb, if they want to? Sure. So um, I'm on Instagram. My Insta handle is at Dietitian Debs. Um, and my uh, website is DebraSloanHealthySolutions.com. So if you do a search for that, you'll find me there. I'm posting, you know, posting recipes and all kinds of things uh, regularly, trying to stay on top of that as much as I can. So uh, at Dietitian Debs or Deborah Sloan Healthy Solutions. Um, I'm doing a lot of Zoom stuff with clients and I'm starting to see people back in the clinic if they're interested as well. So, yeah. Amazing. We'll have all the links in our show notes for realsies. Deb. Your gem, and I look forward to see you on the playground. Yes. No? Dover Court. Yeah. Dover Court represent. <laughs> Thank Thanks you so, so much for this. This is fun.